Hi, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Complete Sports Media's podcast. I'm your host, Darren Campbell. Really excited that you could join us today, and I'm extra excited because we're going to be bringing in a guest, Rob Fay from Rob Fay Nation and the Vancouver Canadians. He's the broadcast voice of the Seas, a professional baseball team here in Vancouver, and we can't be more excited to have him join us and share in a lot of great stories. Uh, Rob is a gem in the broadcasting industry, and uh, I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Let's patch Rob in right now and have him join us. Okay, yeah, it looks like I've got Rob on our Zoom call here. Uh, welcome to Complete Sports Media Podcast, our Zoom call. You're in my studio here, Rob. Uh, thanks for joining. I like your studio, too. Yeah, it's not bad. I paint these by hand. I don't know if people used to play video games, but I'm a big fan of uh, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. So I go to the dollar store, buy a couple of different colors, and uh, and just, I don't know, put something on the wall, I guess. <laughs> that looks great. Looks really good. So, thanks. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, everybody, this is the... Vin Scully of Vancouver. He is the uh, voice of Vancouver's professional baseball team here, the Vancouver Canadians. And he's been doing this for many, many years. I think he's been part of the organization for 14 years now. Yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, 14 years. Wow. Congratulations on that, Rob. And, and uh, yeah, I love to talk baseball with you. Always have. Uh, I knew Rob long, long, long ago. And uh, yeah, it's great to see him flourishing and thriving and doing so well in the Vancouver industry for baseball. Um, yeah, thanks for joining us, Rob. This oh, is, uh, is going to be a lot of fun. It's my pleasure. And for those that are watching this or listening, when I first started out in this industry in the mid-90s, I was always so smitten uh, watching you do your television stuff and learning from you. And then you were the one guy that went away to the States. And we were all like, man, you know, if we could be like him one day. So, yeah, I'm uh, – I'm thrilled to be here, but that was now, and I'm aging myself, that was 25 years ago. Amazing. Isn't that yeah. amazing? Wow. It incredible. Is. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it's amazing how time flies, and uh, I really appreciate the nice comments. Uh, I, I, I always was really impressed with your drive and tenacity. Uh, I was impressed with you right from the start, knowing that you were the only walk-on to come to Vancouver for the NBI and the National Baseball Institute. Uh, tell yeah. me about deciding to leave Ontario and, and come out here and, and join that organization and try to uh, make the team and everything. Yeah. That must've been a, a daunting task, but you, you know, you it was full, full front on. Yeah. You know, what was interesting is um, all high school, I wanted to go and play my baseball South of the border because if you were to go back to the early nineties, uh, a Canadian getting drafted was a real rarity. I mean, now in this day and age, you're looking at multiple players every year that seem to make their way into a major league organization. But back in the early 90s, I graduated in 1992. Um, it was really hard to find a scout that was there north of the border that had the ear of a major league team. So I would go down. I did my first year of university uh, college at uh, Grace College, which was a theological seminary. I didn't realize it until I got there what a theological seminary was, but I learned quickly. Um, and then when I came back that summer, 
my mom actually said that she was going to be moving from Toronto to Vancouver. And she says, well, do you want to come with me? And uh, I was carrying a 0.7 GPA at Grace, which meant I was going to have to sit out a semester and decided that I was going to take the trip. And what was interesting is one of my high school teammates um, from when I played high school baseball was a guy by the name of Todd Betts. And he had just come back from playing at the National Baseball Institute, which was located here in Vancouver. So when I got off the plane, I didn't know left from right. All I knew is that I still felt like I had a couple innings left in my arm and I wanted to compete at a, game, at a, at a level that I thought was, you know, maybe going to get me a couple of looks because the aspiration was to play baseball professionally. Um, and so I walked on to the National Baseball Institute. John Har, who was the head coach, um, was, I, how would I describe this? Skeptical, maybe because, you know, I wasn't really a guy that was on his radar and that was fine, but I showed up every day at the Wally Sports Complex, um, brought my glove, brought my bag, and eventually he let me on the other side of the fence to start working out with the team. So it's kind of, if you know the Field of Dreams movie, um, I'm the Moonlight Graham of the National Baseball Institute because I got to pitch one inning of one game, and I still remember my stat line. I gave up one run on one hit, I struck out one, and I walked one, and that was the only inning I ever played. But for those who still, I guess, delve into the grandeur of baseball and the sexiness of it, it was really cool to have put on that uniform, played an inning with that program, and at least say that I made it from Toronto to Vancouver and got to pitch with the best in Canada. Good for you. Yeah, great, you know, great story. I, I just love it that uh, you, know, you can bring the field of dreams uh, into that story and, and to have that stat line. And uh, you know, good for you with the perseverance. I, I saw it in you know baseball field. Then I saw it in the broadcasting world. Uh, we were <laughs> we were doing a, a TV show, and then you you decided you wanted to come and uh, help out as much as you could. And I, I loved your enthusiasm, your baseball knowledge. Uh, I was a baseball fan from a very young age too, and so it was really nice to talk baseball with somebody you know playing the game and so eager and. And then uh, I eventually left the show, and I think you ended up um, taking over for a little while as well, didn't you? Uh, didn't yeah, it, work it was kind of a, Steve? Yeah, Go Steve Erickson. It was a bit of a revolving door. I mean, that's the beauty of community television. And, you know, I, I never went to school for broadcasting, and yet I get to teach at broadcasting schools. They'll bring me in to public speak for them and, and tell them the ropes. And I say, trust me, you want to go to school for this industry because the bumpy road that I took um, – was a little longer to get to the finish line. But that said, every day I got to come to community television, be it Shaw, be it Rogers, and it was a blank canvas. And I think in this day and age where everything's a little more cookie cutter than it was in previous, you know, generations, it was cool to be able to cover the Grizzlies or, you know, interview Dominic Bobilio and see the 86ers before they came to Whitecaps and all those little things that now I look back on even though I didn't have the mic flash of a major network like TSN or The Score or whoever it was back then, just the fact that I got to be a part of it and cut my teeth that way, I think has a lot to do with the kind of broadcaster that I've become today. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. And, and I, I agree with you that that cookie cutter thing can work for a lot of networks. But, you know, I, I prefer guys like yourself that, uh, you know, aren't from that mold and have been able to, you know, forge a career and and just do it the, your way um you've, you've done it with with the seas and you've also done it with rob nation rob fay nation uh i was always really impressed with that show every time i had an opportunity to tune in 10 to midnight uh, a lot of fun you you just um really didn't 
fit that mold that most of the other shows had to have. And uh, it was nice to see that they took an opportunity, brought you in. You had a couple of great years there. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It must have been really fantastic. Uh, five days a week being able to do that and, yeah. and just have your guests and you know talk about those couple of years. I think for me, the one thing that I always wanted was just to be able to walk in and say, let's push the bubble. Let's see what we can come up with. So when I started doing Rob Fanation Radio, it was all about like, in addition to, because you got to remember, I'm, I'm on at 10 o'clock to midnight. So there's been 12 hours of opinion and hot takes and everybody knows everything. So why not be the guy that says, okay, cool, but let's look at it from a different perspective. So I would bring in not just athletes, but I'd bring in local nightclub DJs, chefs, different people from different walks of life and try to make it more conversational. I would let callers go on for three or four minutes instead of just 30 seconds and really let them feel like they had value in the show. And so the most recent ratings book that came out in spring of 2020, when the book came out, you got to remember the late night guys never get the advertisers. They never get the sales guys that come in because they want to, you know, feed the day parts, the day parts. So the book came out, which is, you know, of course, everybody wants to see where they rank and what their ratings are. And that's, you know, I guess new music to the ears of the sales guys that can then go out and pitch stuff. My show came in number two of all the sports shows in this city. So only behind Sakaris and Price. I beat Donnie and the Moj. I beat Halford and Bruff. I boat raced everybody at Sports, uh, Sportsnet 650. And so all of a sudden, everybody said, well, wait a minute. This throwaway guy at 10 o'clock at night has the second highest ratings of any sports show in the city. What's going on? And that's when I think all of a sudden people started to say, maybe there's something here, not just in the time slot, but in the formula of the way that he's approached the show. So now I have all these different people come up and say, well, how would you do this? And what would you do? And I laugh because when I first started the show, nobody cared at all about that style of radio. But now, and I'm not saying it's just me, but I think if you broadcast from the heart, and you give people stuff that is relevant instead of just blowing some stats up somebody's ass, then eventually somebody's going to be like, you know what, that's the kind of radio that I want to listen to. And I learned that from Dan Russell. I learned it from the late night guys that really understood that by the end of the day, once you put your kids to bed, you just want to have a conversation. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I, th I think you just hit the nail on the head. And I think so many people agree with your take on that. And uh, yeah, it's it was really amazing to to see that rise in popularity and uh that's amazing you know like you said it was a, it's a throwaway time slot for a lot of radio stations and you know but you s seized the opportunity and and made a really great show of it and one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on at this time is i've heard you got some exciting news that uh rob fay nation is coming back in a, in a podcast <laughs> form so uh yeah, yeah it must be exciting and you mentioned dan russell i think he's going to be one of your initial Yes, on your first show, right? Boy, you've done your homework, man. I'm impressed, Darren. Good for you. Um, so here's the deal. Um, and, I'll, and I'll keep this as politically correct as I can. I've done the show on TSN for the last couple of years. But the Vancouver Canadians have their contract, their rights with Sportsnet 650. For the first time in 14 years, we did our season on the, the other station. So basically, I can't do my show on 1040 right now because if I want to do Canadian baseball, I've got to do it on 650. And 650 doesn't have anything for me right now. That's okay. So the reality is, is instead of me worrying about if I'm going to go left or right, if I'm going to wear the red shirt or the blue shirt, I'm just going to do it myself. Because that, at the end of the day, has always been the recipe for me 
is just do something that when you put it out there is approachable and enjoyable and heck, maybe even a little fun and informative. But I was just like, let's do a podcast because everybody's listening on their phones now in this day and age, right? So my first show, which debuts this coming Wednesday, I'm not sure when you're going to post this, Darren, but um, in the middle of July is going to be 12 Vancouver Canuck broadcasters. 12 play-by-play guys, everybody from Jim Robson through to Bernie Pascal, Ron Barnett, the early stage guys, right through to John Abbott, Joey Kenward, John Shorthouse, Brendan Batchelor, Jim Houston, all of them. But the cool part about this, and this is where I'm going to really test my technical side, is I want to make it sound like all 12 of them are sitting at a table with me at the same time. So they've all been recorded over the course of the last four or five days. Now it's my job to put all 12 of those guys in the same room at the same time. And if I could pull this one off, I really think that I've done the name Rob Nation Radio justice. Wow. Wow, what an undertaking. That's fantastic. What a great idea. And that's, that's amazing to be able to have 12 guys. Uh, it, I think there is only 12 guys that have ever held that role. Is that correct? Well, okay, so uh, I'm glad you asked because Dan Russell, who I interviewed while he's in Thailand, I was up at 10 o'clock last night trying to get him around lunchtime, um, had mentioned two guys that I did not have on my list. So all of a sudden, and I mentioned one guy that he didn't have on his list, but uh, Danny Gallivan, who's obviously passed away, Jim Cox has passed away. Those are two, I would have had 14 if everybody was alive. But the reality is, and this is where Dan Russell's a really cool dude, and I've long loved Dan Russell. I know he's a bit polarizing, but for me, he's a student of the sport. He's a student of the industry. And after we finished the interview, an hour later, I got an email from him and he says, I don't know if it's worth it, but here's an interview that I did back in 1989 with Danny Gallivan. So I was able to extract the clips of Danny Gallivan from 1989 and blend it into what I'm building right now. So that essentially, even though he's passed away, he'll still be a part of the conversation. And I, I, I've, been really, I've been really thinking to myself, there's a hundred podcasts out there that all want to talk about, you know, how fast is Brock Besser? Why would they trade, you know, this guy for that guy? That's low-hanging fruit. What you do is bring stories to life. What I want to do is create the theater of imagination. Could you really imagine sitting at a table with a dozen guys that have Canuck play-by-play experience? That, to me, is clickable. It's why I would listen. If you want to sit here and tell me how good Bo Horvat is, I don't have time for that. But if you want to do something that I haven't heard before, I will definitely click on. So that's what I'm trying to build. Good for you. Yeah, good for yeah. you. That's, that's really, really fun. I, I can't wait to listen. Uh, I'm going to let a lot of people know, and uh, I'm sure they Thank will you. all want to listen as well. Yeah, that's, that's a really great idea. I, I want to go back, I guess, just your story reminded me of my story a bit. Uh, I, w- I always wanted to work for the Canucks. I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be Jim Robson. Uh, I, I We all did. I, yeah, I think we all did, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> I, I pointed to Jim Robson on the TV and said to my family, I want to have his job one day. And, you know, I, I was met with a lot of negative uh, comments, just uh, a lot of like, mm, I don't think that's going to be possible. And I you know, just said, no, that's really what I want to do. And I persevered and persevered. And the very first game that I got to go to the Canucks as a reporter, I got my press pass. I went up to the area in the Pacific Coliseum and I I made some food from the buffet table. I put some food on a plate and I walked over to an empty table and I sat down and had a couple bites. And all of a sudden I hear, is this seat taken? And I look up and it's Jim Robson. 
and okay. he sits down next to me and we end up having a com full on conversation. And I just thought back to that little kid that had pointed to the TV and, you know, lot, often on the radio and said, you know, that's the guy that I really want to take his job one day. And obviously I didn't, but you know, you're able to talk to all these guys that have, and that's uh, that's incredible. That's a really great thought of putting together your, your first in, initial podcast and having those guys all, all with it. The, it's not amazing. The thing that I really appreciate, and I didn't even realize it until this week, is how many of these hockey guys have done other sports. I mean, Rick Ball, who's part of this conversation as well, used to be the BC Lions broadcaster. Jim Houston used to do baseball for the Blue Jays. And so you start going off on the – it was really hard to keep these um, um, conversations streamlined where I wanted them to go because they're so fascinating as individuals. And, you know, Jim Houston doing the Blue Jay baseball with Rance Mullenix and Jesse Barfield. And you talk to Jim Robson, who within three – I think he said within three weeks he had done pro hockey, baseball, and football. And I said, how did you do that? He says, well, it's a lot of – um, he said it was really technical because the only thing that was different was just the the verbiage is, you know, baseball's got its own language, football's a little crankier, it's got its own language, and then, you know, hockey's got its own speed, its own language. So here I am, it's like, and, and I'm 46, but I'm still like a child in my head. I've got like this huge crush on guys that can do this and do this well, uh, and ladies as well. And I sit there and I just say, man, I could talk to these guys all day. So I've got probably five six hours of footage and i've got to dwindle it down to half an hour to an hour that's what i've given myself so there's going to be a lot of awesome stuff on the cutting room floor but i think a lot of that's just because i couldn't hang up the phone with them i just wanted to keep talking and learn more about them no doubt uh, yeah yeah well i heard i heard i think i maybe saw a tweet from you that said uh, half an hour and i said how is this how is it possible? <laughs> I, I, there's gonna be there's gonna be just so many gems yeah. on the cutting room floor. So I hope it's not half yeah. an hour. I actually hope it's closer to the hour. Yeah, so. there might be a part two. There might have to be a part two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So wow, that's exciting. That's really exciting news. And uh, yeah, you know, luckily a lot of these guys aren't aren't just you know hockey people. They definitely uh, have been in many of the other sports and and the uh, other broadcasting worlds. And, you know, it's, that's going to be fantastic. I, I'm really excited for you. Uh, you. I know the, I know the other thing that, um, you know, is top of top of mind and top of, you know, your world is the um, cancellation of the, the uh, minor league baseball seasons in the seas. And, you know, I, I love talking about the positive things, but obviously, you know, this is a negative thing, but, Tell me what, um, you know, what's the feeling and the sentiment uh, with the SEAS organization uh, on this um, COVID-19 new world and the unfortunate uh, cancellation of the season? Well, let me tell you, I got a meeting in five minutes to address just this with everybody here at Napa League Stadium because it is constantly changing. I don't think in my lifetime I've ever experienced a situation where it's been so fluid that every day you step up to the ballpark or come to your place of work, something's different. A number has changed, a policy's changed, something's revised. You're constantly making sure. So what I did this morning is I had a couple of people with the Toronto Blue Jays FaceTime me and they gave me a tour of the dressing room, of the field, the dugouts, everything. So now it's my job to take that information down to the Canadians and say, okay, here's how the Blue Jays have applied it we have to do this before our season starts next year because we just lost an entire season of professional baseball because of COVID-19. We cannot afford as a small business in the city to lose another season. So we now, between here and this conversation in, uh, in uh, April or May, whenever our season starts, 
we don't know, but that's for another conversation. Um, we have to prove to the government, to Dr. Bonnie Henry, that our policy and our building is up to snuff that we can host events at our stadium again. So it is, uh, Darren, I have, I'm definitely not certified to talk about this on a health level, but I just know from a stadium operations perspective, something that I've been privy to every day, there is no answer. And anybody that tells you that they have one is lying or just trying to get ahead of it because the reality is, is what I can tell you today in two weeks could be something completely different. So uh, yeah, you just keep your head on a swivel and do the best that you can. Yeah. Well, yeah, good luck. Uh, obviously it's a huge undertaking and a lot of the professional leagues around North America have been having um, the same types of conversations that I guess you're having and, you know, trying to make it safe and, uh, you know, bring, bring fans back to the ballpark and um, losing those 38 dates has, has got to be tough for a, you know, small organization like yourself. Um, you know, uh, how, how does a team survive um, over this? Uh, you know, is there a commitment uh, long-term? I know there was a, an agreement signed quite a few years ago with the city that was pretty long-term. Um, you know, how, how does it work in a, for a, you know, a minor league professional baseball team like this? We have been unbelievably fortunate that the city of Vancouver has been as accommodating as they have been. I mean, our ownership is local, and I think that has something to do with it. Uh, the fact that Jake Kerr, uh, Jeff Mooney, and Andy Dunn are in town, um, they're actively working with our you know, provincial government to listen. And that is something that I've learned over the last couple of months is it's real easy to go out there and beat your chest and say, well, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And yada, yada, yada. But the reality is, is you've got to react instead of be, um, you know, somebody out there trying to tell people what they're going to do because it changes so quickly. So we've basically taken a step back. It, 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 there was a great quote that I heard a long time ago. The hardest thing you'll ever have to do in your life is be the last person at the table to speak. But if you're the last person, you've learned, you've collected the most information. And that's why I think the Vancouver Canadians have been pretty good with handling this pandemic from a business perspective, because instead of going out there and immediately being reactive, immediately saying, oh my gosh, this is what we're going to do, or oh no, we're screwed. They've basically just said, okay, well, let's see what John Horgan has. Let's see what Dr. Bonnie Henry is saying. Let's look at the trends and the numbers and try to get enough data and analytic where we can make a, a, a smart decision for our fans and a smart business decision as to how we're going to be able to get on the other side of this. So for me right now, we've had to furlough half of our staff and that's unfortunate. I get some really good friends that aren't working today and that's really heart wrenching. But I also understand that in the business of sport, you do have to pull back when there's no fans coming through the gates. So we will open again. I assume we're going to open in 2021, but it's not going to look the same there. And our food and beverage is going to be different. The way that you walk into the stadium and leave the stadium will change. In a perfect world, we're at 100% capacity. We might not be by next April or May. So we have to have plans in place for every possible scenario that are airtight. So when it's our turn to sit in front of John Horgan and Dr. Bonnie Henry, they look at us and they say, they've done their due diligence. They've done it right. The science is there. Let's bring baseball back to town. And I think that's why meetings like the one I'm about to go to happen is just because you've got to sit there and learn and listen. And that's what I think we've done really well so far. All right. Yeah. Good for you. Well, we're waiting for more information to come out from all of those meetings. And uh, yeah, I, you know, this, this puts a real damper on, uh, you know, my, my summer uh, puts a real damper <laughs> on 240,000 fans that come out, uh, you know, every year to the ballpark. Matt Bailey is our Yankee stadium. Uh, we, yes, you know, we get, 
we get to hear uh, the Vin Scully of, of, of uh, Vancouver. You and, you know, you, you, I you, want you, make, you make my summer. I, you make I'll my trade summer. anything for your beard. You got that, like, perfect beard going, man. That Sean Connery thing. <laughs> You're hilarious. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's, it's really been unfortunate. Uh, you know, this is hit. Um, the other thing that, that hit a lot of minor league franchises was the talk of contraction. 160 teams um, have an affiliation with Major League Baseball, and they wanted to contract it by about 42 teams. Um, and I understand that um, Vancouver might not make the mark in some of these. Uh, I, I, I understand that Lansing and Vancouver are kind of uh, competing for one of the um, Blue Jays affiliation spots. Um, can you fill the viewers and listeners uh, in? with uh, where that kind of stands these days. Yeah, you know, I, I can't speak much to the second one. I, I've heard what you've heard, but I haven't heard anything above that. That's well above my pay grade. But what I will say is that Major League Baseball came out, I want to say, oh gosh, four or five months ago, with a, a list of 42 franchises that were not going to be around in 2021. And people will say, well, why is that? So Major League Baseball is trying to reduce the number of affiliates that they have per organization. And if memory serves me correct, they're trying to get it to a place where every team in Major League Baseball has four affiliates. Now, to preface the second part of your question, Darren, the Blue Jays had six affiliates, and they needed to skim it down to four. Bluefield, which is of the Appalachian League, they're gone. That whole league is disintegrated, which is gut-wrenching for me. That's a league that's been there nearly a century, and now all of a sudden they're all gone, which is really bizarre to me. So the Lansing versus Vancouver question, I know what you're saying. Because they're going to keep Buffalo, they're going to keep New Hampshire, they're going to keep Dunedin. So the Blue Jays, those three are locks, the AAA, the AA, the long A. So Lansing, of course, of the Midwest League, geographically makes a lot of sense. But Vancouver, from a marketing and branding perspective, also makes a lot of sense. So the Blue Jays have not talked to us about it. They haven't communicated, which I think they got bigger fish to fry right now. We'll circle back on this when the time is right. It's going to be a tough choice for them because I can make cases for both Lansing and Vancouver. But the reality is, is I think if you're a marketing person within the Blue Jays organization, why wouldn't you want that synergy with Vancouver and everything that we bring being Canada's only affiliated minor league team? But we also understand that we're a five-hour flight as opposed to a three-hour drive. So there is, uh, there's definitely conversations and challenges to be had, but we're just going to sit here and wait. And again, silence is sometimes the best thing you can bring to the table. <laughs> Good, good point. Good point. Uh, yeah, well, it has been an amazing affiliation. Uh, 10, 10 years. Uh, you guys have, I think you won four championships in those 10 years, three in a row. And, and uh, it's, uh, you know, just been so fantastic to actually see some guys that come here. And then a few years later, they're, you know, at, at the major league level. Uh, you know, there is quite an amazing list of guys that have called Vancouver home for the summer. And then years later have, um, made it up to the show and uh, you have been able to forge such a great relationship with so many of the former Jays and the, the guys that are coming up. Uh, you know, the, uh, the friendship that I've seen you forge with Robert, Roberto Alomar and, and so many of these young guys that have come up, uh, you know, tell me about just being affiliated with the Jays and being Canada's only uh, affiliated minor league team as well. Uh, it, it's just, it has been phenomenal for the country in, in baseball terms. Yeah. I mean, as a kid that grew up in Toronto, thinking that 25, 30 years later that I'd be hanging out to have a dinner with Roberto Alomar and Jesse Barfield is like, 
bizarre. It still doesn't register, even as I say it in this conversation. But that's the beauty is the Blue Jays have been extraordinarily proactive in sending out players and good players to our team and previous players who are from the World Series championship years. I mean, if there's one thing that the Blue Jays can hang their hat on in Seattle is they didn't sell us short. Four championships in a decade more than any other franchise in the Northwest League. Um, an embarrassment of riches when it comes to players that have come through here and helped support our foundation and our players when they're in town. I mean, it's, I don't think I would ever be able to wrap my head around another affiliation just because the Blue Jays have been so perfect for everything that we've done here in Vancouver. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> it's just been a, an amazing relationship and it, it's revitalized uh, baseball here. Uh, just being able for so many fans to just think, Hey, I'm cheering for this young guy. That's uh just made into professional baseball has been a recent draft pick and uh, a few years from now he's um, you know going to be on the Blue Jays who you know is usually somebody's favorite team so um, <laughs> you, you guys have won the John Johnson uh, John Johnson award as the the best best franchise uh, minor league baseball wow just like what an accomplishment that must have been you guys must have been celebrating for days, weeks, months, years, uh, you know, just, just some of the uh, uh, amazing notor uh, amazing awards and achievements you guys have had. Uh, you're, you're getting the Groundskeepers Award year after year. And, and just, you know, so many amazing things there, so many accomplishments, just fantastic. Thank you. I mean, I think the John H. Johnson one that we got back in 2014 is my favorite just because it's for the most – what is the proper terminology? The most complete franchise in, made in minor league baseball. First time anybody outside of the United States had won that award. So that was a, a pretty big feather in our cap. No kidding. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So uh, the, the uh, Superstar st Series is, has been fantastic every year. Really great to be able to, you know, go to the ballpark and see some of the former major leaguers. I, I can't even believe uh, the quality of, of talent that has come through and, and you've got so many opportunities to see all these great former major leaguers. Uh, yeah, talk about that superstar series and being able to put that together in year after year, getting a lot of guys from around Major League Baseball. Well, Darren, I'll finish up with this. And that's why I was scouring from one of my cards. I'm going to try to see if you can see this. So there's a squibbly line on this. So imagine that being Bill Buckner's signature. So you bring your baseball to the stadium. We've had Bill Buckner, uh, former Boston Red Sox, of course, notorious for the error he made in 1986 and helped the Mets to the World Series. So Bill Buckner comes to town, signs a bunch of autographs. Well, guess who we had two years later? Uh, we, who is the guy? Oh, my God. Now my mind is letting me go because I, I know i got to run. Um, who's the guy that hit the ball through his legs? I, I'm having a mind blank. In this something, a baseball guy that can't remember a baseball name. <laughs> oh, wow. Anyways. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to say Mookie Wilson, but I know I'm wrong. Anyways. No, was it Mookie, Mookie it might Wilson? Mookie Wilson. I think it was, it was Mookie, Wilson. Mookie Wilson. You're right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not That's losing my guy. mind completely. So anyways, a baseball fan who had come here to Nappy Lee Stadium a couple of years earlier brought the same baseball because he wanted a baseball that was signed by both Bill Buckner wow. and Mookie Wilson. So remember this. This is the Bill Buckner signature. All right? <laughs> remember this. This is how Mookie Wilson signed his autograph. Let me see if I can get it. <laughs> he signed his autograph going through Bill Buckner's. And I'll never forget. It. Wow. It's, the greatest, it's the greatest thing I've ever seen. So, That's hilarious. Darren, wow. thank Amazing. you so much for this interview. It has been outstanding.
I thank appreciate you. your time. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm really glad you could come on, and uh, this has been fantastic. We, we got to do it again. Uh, I'm going to be uh, sending a lot of listeners your way uh, for Wednesday, and uh, can't wait. Can't wait for it. Let's uh, yeah, let's do this again, Rob. It, it was really. A you pleasure. know where to find me. You got my number. You can call me anytime. I'm sorry, I have a meeting I got to run to. It's the the nature of the beast. But Darren, you're good people, man. Thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks. Take care, Rob. All okay, the best. See you, Darren. Okay. Bye bye. Hey, bye bye. That's great. Yeah. Wow. Rob Fay Nation. Rob Fay joining the Complete Sports Media podcast. Wow, it was um, fantastic. Uh, yeah, I had uh, a million more things to talk to him about, but uh, busy guy and with um, obviously this season and the COVID pandemic uh, changing everything. Um, hopefully gets a lot of great um, news and lots of great things out of this meeting that he's going to. And um, yeah, please tune into the Rob Fay Nation podcast. Um, I'll find links and I'll send it out to all you subscribers and everybody that's listening in. And um, yeah, we're going to have Rob on again. Had so much to talk to him about. Uh, we didn't get to the things that he's done with the World Baseball Classic, EA Sports. Uh, just so many fun memories and so many fun things that we can talk to Rob Fay about. So um, yeah, but Glad we had his uh, time, even though it was short. And uh, I hope you enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Uh, really great guy. And and uh, let's on mass go out to the ballpark in 2021. Support the seas and support Rob Nation, Rob Fay Nation uh, podcast. We're really uh, excited that he's back on the airwaves here in Vancouver. So thanks so much. Take care of yourself. Uh, love you lots. Very, I will see you very, very soon. Keep tuning in. Bye for now.